0: Hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. We are internationally ranked for top podcast in the communication skills category. And I'm very grateful to all of you who listen and to our great guests who make that possible. This podcast is about the conversations that we have that can move us closer to achieving our goals. You know, communication is something, it's a variable that you have more control over than you probably realize. And really, effective communication is all about the details. And that's what we talk about here. Uh, you know, there's just a difference between whether my son tells me he met a hot woman or a beautiful woman. And by the way, now he's married to a lovely young woman. And we don't have those conversations anymore, but the details matter in communication. And if you would like to bring a fun expert into your company, into your team or some group of teams, I'll be happy to come and help everyone understand their communication style and how they can either get to the point if they're a rambler or speak up more often if they're not speaking up enough. We can also talk about culture and making your culture better executive presence better public speaking as far as audience engagement that's really my specialty with presentations is getting that audience engaged i think that is much more important i mean body language is great but if you get your audience engaged then you will have the right body language So that's our sponsor for today, Mixonian Institute. And you can check us out at www.speakupwithlaura.com. So today we have a well-known expert. He wrote a book, but he's really more of a corporate genius. His name is Atif Rafiq, and he is the founder of Covigna, which we're going to find out about. He's on the board of Flutter Entertainment, Clearover, and Ken's Technology. He previously was the CEO of Covigna, Global CIO, and Chief Digital Officer of Volvo AB. Now, Volvo is also here in South Carolina, so I can't wait to ask him about that. And he was the Global Chief Digital Officer and Senior VP at a small company you may have heard of called McDonald's Corp. So he's also worked at MGM Resorts International. He was general manager of Kindle Direct Publishing at Amazon and head product marketing and strategy at Yahoo. So Mr. Rafiq has a very impressive background and we are going to talk to him today about this concept that he's developed called decision sprints. So it's about making decisions faster and really paying attention to the things that move the needle and ignoring the things that do not. So I'm super excited to bring him to you. As I mentioned before, I'm kind of like a bouncer because everybody and his mother wants to be a guest on this podcast. And please let me know, you know, by the way, hello at speakupwithlaura.com. Reach out anytime. I would love to know. If you have a suggestion for a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, or just say hello. So, thank you very much. And now I'll bring you Atif. So, Atif, welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho show. We're very happy to have you here. and know that everybody's excited to hear what you're going to say. We're going to talk about... Why making decisions right now is so hard. And if you think about it, even just as a person with the economy, like it just feels weird and different. And then we have, you know, AI and ChatGPT GPT in the mix and just a lot going on. But this, I guess it was no surprise to you. Like, But let's start at the beginning, Atif. So tell us about, you know, Atif at 11 years old. Were you ambitious? Were you ready to take over the world back then?
1: I think I was ambitious, but I'm not sure I had all the ingredients for success. You know those came over time, but I've always been i say entrepreneurial and business minded. I started a bank in elementary school. it folded in three days, so not the best person to run s b b or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think early on, my teachers kind of noticed my interest in business. I remember in seventh grade, the English teacher asked my mom, Hey, you know what does his dad do for a living? Because he loves the stock market and he's always writing about it in his papers. And she's like, no, yeah, his dad's a businessman, so maybe he's picking it up through osmosis. That was probably a little bit of nature and environmental factors kind of kicking in kick, kicking in my interest. But no, I was a normal kid, just loved sports and I'd rather be playing than doing homework.
0: I want to tell our readers that Teef uh, did write a book called Decision Sprints. It's just hot off the press. And he dedicated it to his father. And I think that's so beautiful. I I dedicated my book to my mother, but our parents are so important. But it's more common that the mom gets the dedication than the dad. So I thought that was beautiful. So he definitely shaped your thinking in the business sense, right?
1: Well, I I think a lot of times we'll learn through osmosis in the environment. And so, you know, of course, my mom being a traditional mom was very hands-on, is responsible for my education and me, for example, being good, <laughs> good at math, you know, because you spent time sort of just doing the hard work there. But a dad in a traditional sense, the way I was raised is not around as much because he's out earning a living. And so sometimes we don't get as much time, but we are influenced. And so I thought it was important to kind of put a stake in the ground around that where you know, hard work is... Maybe not noticed because we don't see it, but it definitely does influence and shape who we are. So I was super pumped to dedicate the book to my dad, especially since it was a one person business. You know, he didn't work in a corporation and he didn't get promoted and he didn't you know build a unicorn. But that doesn't define his worth.
0: Right. Exactly. No, that's beautiful. And it takes all kinds. And we don't need everybody to be a freaking unicorn. Then (laughs) what are we going to do? Just butt our horns against each other? You're thinking about the need for a different process for making decisions. I assume that's been something that's been simmering in your mind for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about what was a major moment in that process? Where you said, you know, this was it, at McDonald's. You know, I know you're were the person that brought digitalization to McDonald's. Was that really like what your moment of we've got to update?
1: Well, it was in my transition from Amazon to the Fortune 500, and my first stop was McDonald's, where I was the Chief Digital Officer. And over a 10-year period, after 15 to 20 years in pure plate tech, I entered the C-suite of traditional companies, McDonald's, Volvo, and then president level at MGM Resorts. And I felt like I was riding the fault line of two cultures. And I know you like to educate and share about culture, and I'm sure we'll get into that. These are really companies built in different eras. You know, tech companies... They start with nothing. There's a whole bunch of ambiguity, and if they make it, they work through the ambiguity, and then they disrupt and to become successful. Whereas your traditional Fortune 500 company, you know, your founder's not there anymore, right? You've got generations of professional managers who are really good at kind of traditional management, less comfortable with innovation and doing new things, and. When you come into companies like McDonald's, which had flatlined and needed to grow and therefore needed to do new things, one interesting observation I made is that our success was not only a function of what we were going to do in terms of our vision, but how we were going to work inside the company. And we needed to change how we worked in order to realize the potential of what we were seeking to deliver as our vision.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I also work with traditional companies and tech companies, and you're absolutely right. The whole structure is different. Compensation is certainly different. And by the way, I don't know if this was true when you worked at Volvo, but they have a significant presence in South Carolina where I live and was very important to our local economy. Thank you, Volvo listeners. And we also have, I know, listeners with Anheuser-Busch Nestle, Ferrara, I mean, these traditional companies that actually make things and even could be regulated. So when you first entered McDonald's as your first, you know, traditional company after tech, how was that?
1: I would say an entirely different planet. Like that's the best way.
0: (laughs) Not country, planet.
1: (laughs) Yes, maybe even solar system, right? Because you're going from Amazon, which is a company that... I think in the tech set is very comfortable with ambiguity, thinking long term, not knowing a lot about a space at the beginning, but doing a really great job of high quality detective work is what I call it. They have a learning culture. It's in the walls. You know, it's in every sort of leader of any stature at the company. And so you learn as a person in that organization, what it takes to make it in that organization. So this learning culture is just permeated and. The bottom line is like, you don't need to know a ton about a new space at the beginning, but you very quickly, you smarten up quite a bit around that. And in a traditional company, of course, things have been working and you're more trying to make sure you don't disrupt what's already working because it's working at a high degree of scale. It's working globally and any change can kind of really be viewed as a defect. And so there's a little bit of resistance to change and innovation. But... That's the catch-22, because if you have flatlined and you need new ways to grow, you need to problem-solve through the unknown. That's what I call it. And that is sort of the cultural change that I tried to introduce at McDonald's and other companies.
0: Yes, and just for the benefit of our audience, I'll let you know that uh, Atif identifies the devil in his book. (laughs) And the devil are the unknowns and ambiguity, which I think is uh, plaguing all of us. So, I would ask you this question, though, because I'm thinking, let's say I work for a traditional company and we don't have the margins that Amazon has or that these tech companies have. We don't have as much money to play around with. So, don't you think that's a factor?
1: It is a factor. In fact, it means that you probably need to be more right than wrong. And so, that's actually why I wrote the book, because there's a fallacy that if you want to be right, you have to move slow. Or if you want to be right, you cannot focus on new territory, you have to focus on the null commodities. But moving slow and doing more of the same is just a recipe for low growth. And, you know, you wind up just paying dividends, basically. <laughs> you don't introduce new products or business models. And eventually, you tap out on the market and then you become more of a financial play. And I think we all know what that feels like inside an organization. And you have year after year cost cutting and restructuring. And it's not a great employee experience, right? Like it's not where creative people who want to introduce new ideas will, you won't be an employer of choice for those people. So how do you get out of this problem? Well, you can actually tackle new spaces, even though there's a lot of ambiguity and unknowns, with a method. The starting point is what I call exploration. And I found that in many companies, there are a lot of bright ideas, but the reason why we don't get behind these ideas and commit to action is because we don't have a good way of working through the unknowns and i built out a whole set of workflows one of which is this idea of exploration how to build and run one so that you can very quickly see if an idea has merit and decide whether to commit to it and have buy-in without taking a lot of time but on really high quality information
0: Okay. But is this exploration? Is this if I'm working in the innovation vertical or the creative vertical? But what if I'm a vice president of finance? Does it work there?
1: It works for any big problem-solving effort. So for me, it's really important that we don't look at innovation as being the responsibility of one department or one quarter of the company. In fact, I think there's a lot more failure in that model than a model that's more inclusive. So for me, inclusivity is a really important principle. And what do I mean by inclusivity? I mean that when you're tackling a problem, it's not one quarter of a company that has enough of the input that you're going to need to really put your finger on the right strategic direction. It's not going to be 10 corners of a company, but it's definitely not going to be one. So if we group two or three of the right perspectives around a problem we're trying to solve, and we have a good process for building and running an exploration, we're more likely to A, put our finger on all the right questions so we don't have blind spots. B, get to the bottom of those questions and C, be able to draw accurate conclusions based on the exploration that we run. This may sound obvious, but in most organizations, there's such a rush to judgment at the beginning. Yes! There's no means for exploration. And so we wind up into all kinds of situations like a wrestling match between two perspectives Mm -hmm. when it's one opinion versus the other. But the way out of this mess is to provide space for a neutral, objective way to actually explore the problem statement and then use the content coming out of that to come up with the recommendations that make sense.
0: I love that. I don't know if you're familiar. There's a bank in South Africa that's known for its innovation. Are you familiar with it? I think the name, I could be wrong, South Africans can correct. I think it's the First National Bank of South Africa. Are you familiar with that bank at all?
1: I haven't come across it.
0: Well, I don't know what happened. But my son was in the Peace Corps in Lesotho, and I went to South Africa to visit him. And I had read about this bank. And so I pop into a branch down there. This is in like 2017. This is a while back because they hardly have any branches because it's mostly digital. So I just asked to speak to the manager about their innovation because I had read extensively about their innovation. So the bank manager comes out with security to talk to me. (laughs) I'm so scary looking. And I asked her about innovation and she said that their bank, it could be quarterly. It was certainly more than annually. Like everybody is expected to innovate. It's part of your performance review. And this woman who... She looked like she could have been on a, a television show from the 1950s. She did not look like this, you know, cool techie woman. She looked very straight laced. And in her credit, she is bank manager and she had won like three innovation prizes. So it just reminds me of what you're saying, it's not the innovation department, but yet I've spoken to people like, oh, well, I'm in charge of innovation.
1: Well, there's a lot of ways to contribute to innovation. A lot of times we visualize that the person has the bright idea and the light bulb, right? But there are other light bulbs that need to go off in order to translate an idea to something executable. So, for example, someone may have a great concept in their mind. Another person may help service some of the critical things that need to be explored in the form of questions. Like, hey, that sounds like a good idea, but what about A, B, and C as sort of some of the unknowns where if we spent a week or two getting to the bottom of these things, we could take this idea to the next level of definition. So adding questions, not skepticism, but questions, and there is a difference, is a form of contribution in my mind let's say there was an exploration that started with questions, questions had answers, and then you had to reason through drawing some conclusions. Some people are really good at that. They didn't have the idea, but they helped draw the right conclusions around, well, here are the actions that we would need to take. That's a form of contribution. And so when I speak about inclusivity, I'm not talking about bureaucracy to move in slow and having 20-person meetings. Of course, we all know that doesn't lead to what we're looking for here but we are looking for contribution broadly speaking just so that we could distill the thing and make it something where a lot of people are nodding their heads and said we really vetted this thing we understand the details of what's involved and let's go let's move on to action
0: I love what you just said about asking questions is a form of contribution as is adding potentiality, you know, affirming an idea and then adding to it. I call that meeting value as in adding value to the meeting And I feel extremely validated. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. But I want to clarify, you know, you introduce a lot of concepts that are new to me. So if they're new to me, they must be new. Here's a quote I really liked. It says, to experience speed and quality. So Atif is saying both. It's not either or. Speed and quality in decision-making An organization must start further upstream and you call upstream work where there's more questions than answers. So tell us like the development of this idea, because at first upstream, I was thinking we'll hire up the hierarchy. And then I thought, no, it means earlier in the process. But tell us about the development of this concept and how important it is to your conceptualization of decision sprints.
1: Well, everybody is a fan of rapid decision-making. And when we talk about decisions, people gravitate towards the decision point, which is when the decision is happening. But we all know, having worked on projects or ideas and initiatives, that before that decision point, there's weeks and months of collaboration, typically, by a team to sort through everything and put something on the table for a decision. And that whole process, which transpires, as we said, over weeks and months, has a rhythm to it and has some universal steps, whether you're in a transportation company or if you're a CPG organization. And that is really where I put a lot of energy and time, trying to distill that into something that any team in any organization gets view as familiar. Those are the steps we go through. Why is it so clunky? What are the pitfalls? How do we avoid them? And so I had to give that a name. That's what I call upstream. So to go deeper into upstream, it really has three components in my mind. The first is the exploration, which is where we surface all the critical matters and questions, and we spend time trying to get to the bottom of them. The second is alignment, which is where we stand on some shared information and we begin to draw conclusions so that we can recommend something so we can say not only do this or don't do this but if we were to do this here's how to do it here's how to go about it those are the recommendations and then the third phase is the decision making whereas you kind of get to the level of like what are the specific actions what's the plan that we need to put in front and you sort of prepare for that decision point and the cross phase three phases, there are certain pitfalls and there's ways to make sure you avoid them. And if you avoid them, the beauty is that you often reach a decision point in a drama-less fashion.
0: Oh, my gosh. That sounds like a miracle.
1: I have experienced those things at companies like MGM Resorts, Volvo, McDonald's, Amazon, where because of the weeks and months that we spent and we put the emphasis on the right things, the decision point was painless because we were standing on high quality information and it was very hard for people to get torn apart because people could see the breadcrumb of where did you start and how did you get to this recommendation? And it made a lot of sense.
0: So is it fair to say that when you say alignment, that you're talking about buy-in from the stakeholders before moving to the decision point?
1: Correct. It's actually what they really believe versus what they say, because in the end, people do what they believe. They may say one thing, but if they believe another, you don't have a And it will fall apart behind the scenes. And we all know. That.
0: Yes, that is so insightful. Do you have any stories from Volvo about this process, the upstream work and getting in earlier in the changing that process of getting to the decision point?
1: Yeah. Let's say you're a Volvo. Uh, it's 2000. 18, Tesla's kind of eating everybody's lunch in terms of electrification. And you say, wait, we're Volvo. You know, we stand for sustainability. In fact, it's one of our top three long-term objectives. We've actually published that, you know, we'll have at least 50% of the cars be fully electric by the middle of the decade. And sustainability is big for us. So what else can we do around sustainability? So you might be in a meeting room and someone has a bright idea. Hey, what about vegan leather? I say, well, okay, tell me more about that. What does that mean? I say, well, you know, the interiors of the cars, how about we provide the fabric as vegan leather because that's much more environmentally friendly. Well, how do you process that idea? In a typical company, you might get some gut reactions. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's terrible. You know, I don't think that's particularly helpful. The question is, how do we explore this? Is it a claim we can really make? Like, can you validate the materials? What's the feasibility of it, not only from a cost perspective, but in terms of the amount of supply, that's probably a function of, are you going to put it in the entire fleet, like the small, medium, and large SUVs, or just certain models of cars, right? So how much volume are we talking about? And then, of course, from the customer perspective, is there a value to that? Is that something where someone would pick a Volvo versus a BMW, which is what you're trying to switch them over from? because of this proposition around the product. So there's a lot more questions and answers in the beginning, right? And good companies, they are comfortable with that and they are okay providing space for teams, not to take six months, but to take a couple of weeks to canvas the problem in the right way through questions, do some exploration and come back and say, here's what we're seeing. And that's where you begin to get the early steps of alignment going. But those kinds of ideas, you know, the idea will be different by industry, by company.
0: Oh, yes. And
1: broad ideas are a dime a dozen, right? But it's more about how do we make them actionable so that we can get to a spot where we have high quality decision making that we're doing with speed.
0: I love that. And shout out to Volvo, South Carolina. All right. When I was reading the book, I was like, there's got to be something about culture because you are talking about the different factors and the decision making. And then I found workflows culture. So tell me, what does that mean? Lay it on us. I want to know about your thoughts on culture. And then I want also to go into what if you're not in the C-suite, you're you know director, senior director. Have you seen people affect change at that level? And walk us through that. So those two big, humongous questions like solve world hunger in the next five minutes. Go.
1: (laughs) These are some of the most important questions of our time in the workplace. So I'm really glad you raised them, Laura. So let's begin to get into the topic of culture. I mean, I could have written an entire book about culture because my belief is that workflows express culture. Culture is not a set of words and it's not slogans, although they can reinforce the workflows. But let's talk about workflows. I define workflows as the day-to-day employee experience. Like, how does stuff go down? Okay, there is an idea, or let's say the CEO says, oh, we need new growth ideas. Let's put some people on it. Okay, great. Now, how does that happen? In some companies, it's a command and control model where somebody with authority on their own may have said, well, I thought about it, and... These kind of ideas, those aren't attainable or feasible for us. So the best way to grow is X. And then they inform through the command chain and people go and they build a plan for that idea, you know, or that direction. And that really short changes a lot of different things, as we all know. But command and control is one way. You could have another way, which is where you assign teams to kind of do the work and come up with ideas and come back with recommendations. But sometimes that work is done in silos, where one part of the organization says, okay, we've got the ball, and we'll go off and think about it, and then we'll come back and we'll share our work. But you haven't tapped the collective intelligence of the organization, so you're going to have probably a narrow set of thinking there as well. There is a better way, and that's what I'm trying to introduce, and it does exist in companies like Amazon and elsewhere, but that's a model where it's much more team-based, It does leverage the collective intelligence of the organization. And there is a workflow to it. And my book is really about how to enable these kind of teams to do their best work. And that's what Decision sprint the book, is really all about. The reason why I talk about workflows and I feel so passionate about it is because that is the only objective way to really assess the culture of a company. Because we're hearing certain words around Autonomy and ideation and empowering people. But then, if that's inconsistent and you have a command and control workflow, well, that's just a slogan. So, the only way to really know where we're at is to look at how things go down when it comes to teams, teamworks, and collaboration. So, that's where I stand on culture.
0: I love that workflows express culture. That is so true. That's how you see it in action, no matter what the slogans are or the mottos, or even the values. You know, I remember going into one company and having a conversation about values and people were going on their laptops to look up what they were because they weren't sure because they had not been expressed in the workflows. And I would invite any of you listening to think about the workflows under your purview and how, if you can visualize or maybe discuss with the people that you work with, how they do express culture and the values that your company embraces. I think that would be a really cool exercise to do. What is your advice for our directors and senior directors who are knocking on the door of the senior leadership suite?
1: There's a huge opportunity to stand out, to not only lead your company into new ways of working, but to actually stand out as a leader. And let me explain what I mean by that. So when a lead is assigned an initiative, typically there's a cadence, right? Like maybe there's a kickoff and then the C-suite says, "Hey, you know, see you in two or three weeks and we'll do another check-in." Well, in that space, you have a lot of ability and autonomy to define how the work actually gets done. Because your next interaction point with someone more senior is going to be with some content, right? Like some output of the thinking and brainwork that you were organizing on behalf of a team, right? But typically that two to three weeks, the senior executives are way too busy and they don't really know how you're going about it. So I'm trying to inspire you to do that part a little different than you may be doing now. And so, for example, if you really put some emphasis into working with the team to define the problem statement, invest a period of time, what I call a sourcing period to collect input on the key questions that are related to your problem statement and view a great question list as a sign of progress in and of itself, where you don't have any answers, but you feel like you have all the right questions, maybe organized by subject matter or a problem statement. That's what I call getting the first base. And if you had your team feeling like, wow, this is great, that in and of itself is a good signal of of things to come. And then of course. Assigning people the work of answering key questions, maybe getting to a point where you have good FAQs. Right. Right. that you can maybe have in a Word document or something like that. And then organizing a session with the team to say, okay, based on this exploration, that's really what you've done, you've built and run one, what are we thinking? What conclusions make sense? What recommendations do we put on the table and really making that the focus of dialogue, that will pay a lot of dividends because when you package up that work later in some PowerPoint or some Word doc, the C-suite that you meet with, they will feel a difference. They will find less blind spots. They will be able to poke less holes. They will be nodding their head a lot more. And then they'll ask you a question, which is, i your work for this initiative it was more pain-free than all the other meetings I have today. And then you can explain, you have a different workflow. So. The way to affect change in the company is the engine that produces the output behind the scene. And at a director, senior director level, you have a lot of control over that. And that's how you can help lead your companies forward.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is so powerful as you're really laying out that exploration part of the exploration alignment decision making. So I just want to say to the audience... You just got coached by a mega master CEO of modernization, digitalization, and being amazing. So you're welcome. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. This is so interesting. So one more question, and that is AI has been around for a long, long time. I know that Chat GPT is like what everybody and his mother is talking about because they bring it up to me. I'm the confessor. I hear what everybody's talking about in the companies. What is your take? I mean, is it so broad that there's really nothing to say except see what works for you? Or do you have an opinion about that?
1: It's going to speed things up a lot. And so get ready and buckle up because basically you now have a companion which is able to answer questions. That precisely, and not for the context of your company, right? Because it's based on the public internet. Which, by the way, will change because if you're Microsoft, Amazon, and Google Cloud, you're interested in building your private kind of chat GBTs for the intellectual capital of the company. Which the whole thing in and of itself, by the way, that's a reason to put some structure around the upstream work. Because imagine having like all these FAQs around all the projects that you're working on. And then pointing generative AI on that, right?
0: Right, right. That's like a
1: whole body of knowledge that is not hidden anymore in a company. But instead of talking about, uh, let's come back to your actual question, which is how do you use that in your day-to-day work? Well, I think you use it to kind of make sure that it's bar raising your work. So I mentioned you're a project manager. You have two weeks, you're going to have the executive meeting. You want to make sure you're using ChadGBT to ask questions. Let's say you're a company working on a loyalty program or something like that. Well, what could go wrong with a loyalty program? How do we do it well? What defines the best ones? Use the tool to be your research assistant, because what will be unacceptable is that there's a blind spot and you could have put your finger on it. You want to build that into your exploration work. And the beauty of it is that it's natural language hmm mm-hmm. So when you use a system like decision sprint and upstream, which is also a natural language, it kind of plugs in very nicely. I didn't intend that because I wrote this book a while ago.
0: But oh,
1: okay. That's how the world works, right? Because something's just kind of hit the scene and they pair together very well.
0: I didn't explore it, but I saw you have an app. Is that related to the book?
1: Yeah, I'm watching a company called Ritual. It's an app. So think of it as team collaboration product. For all the things we're talking about, handling all aspects of upstream work, helping you work like Amazon would, where you could start with a problem or initiative and wind up with a narrative and some FAQs.
0: Ah, oh, I love that ritual. All right, I'm going to get it. Uh, For my company of three people, see if we can (laughs) work better. (laughs) That sounds pretty remarkable. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you? Anything that you would like to say? I'll let you have the last word.
1: I think we're at an inflection point in work, right? Because AI is going to challenge things and say, hey, what is the real value add of the knowledge worker? We're all sort of knowledge workers. And I view that as glass half empty. Really, I do. Because if we can really focus on this idea that the way to help our companies is to make contributions in the form of questions, and driving explorations, that's how we help a company learn faster. Learning fast is really the best way to help your company. So you want to do that through workflows like I explained in my book. You want to do that by tapping AI to help that learning get accelerated. I think we will always be on safe ground as knowledge workers, as long as we're operating with that mindset, the learning mindset.
0: All righty. Well, thank you so much. This has been mind-blowing. I feel so much more intelligent already. Uh, Teef Rakeek, Decision Sprint is his book. It's, of course, available on Amazon. I'm sure other booksellers as well. And the app is called Ritual, it's Ritual, right? Or the company is called Ritual.
1: Yeah, ritual.work. You can find it there. DecisionSprint.com. That's where my book is. And you can also find my newsletter there as well.
0: Oh, awesome. All right. Let's go subscribe to Atip's newsletter. Have a great day. And I know that everybody listening, you've got to learn faster, get your people to learn faster, do better exploration. And we are going to find different ways of innovating. And I love that. See everyone on the next episode. Bye-bye.